So if you have a Bible on your phone, your mobile app, or if you have the Pew Bible on page 28, we will continue in our series over in Ephesians chapter number four. And we're in that section, uh, chapter four, verses 17, uh, chapter four, verses 17 through 32. So let me ask you, have you completely let go of your old way of life? Now, before you answer with, I no longer go the places I used to go, that's because you're old and you can't. (laughs) Or I don't say the things I used to say. I attend church and I'm I'm active in church. I, I read the Bible and pray, maybe. All these things are good, but have you completely let go of your old way of life in the way that you think, in your thinking? Do you still think and reason the way you did before you trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you still interpret life the same way? Do you still have a temper? Are you still judgmental, critical, and opinionated? Do you you still struggle with self-esteem and and self-image issues? Because we are prone to look at the external habits, aren't we? That we do or we don't do, but yet we seldom consider the way in which we think. This is true. We, we, we spend so much of our time, especially in our Western culture, we spend so much of our time correcting and modifying our behavior but very little time confronting the mindset or the thinking that produces that behavior. You can look at me. I'm talking to you. (laughs) But here's the point. I've got one point always. The way you think determines the way that you live. That's, That's the thing you're going to write down or take home. The way you think determines the way that you live. That's that's one of the messages that Paul's presenting to these believers. Uh, 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 The way you think determines the way you live. So, so far in Ephesians in chapters one through three, Paul has given us the indicatives of, 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 of the passage of the, of the book. And that's what God has done for us. But but here he in chapter four, where David began last week, Paul starts teaching the believers the imperatives, what God requires of us, not that we might be saved, but because we have been saved. So these three headings, Paul deals with the old self before Christ. The life changed by Christ. And finally, the new life in Christ. First, he deals with the old life before Christ. 
Notice Paul chapter verses 17 through 19. Paul exhorts the followers of Jesus Christ who have a new identity, who have been chosen, you remember in in chapter one, who have been adopted and redeemed, who are saved by grace in chapter two, who have been made a new people and a part of a new community in chapter two called the church. And as a sign of their maturity, he says to them, you are to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's verse 17. Now, when he says Gentiles here, because he's used it before, this time he's speaking specifically of unbelievers. So when he says here in chapter four, verse 17, he says, I want you to no longer walk as uh, the Gentiles do. I don't want you to walk as you did when you were an unbeliever. This great city of Ephesus was world famous as a religious, cultural, and economic center of the region. I want you to imagine New York City, Las Vegas, and the Vatican all combined into one. (laughs) Ephesus had the notable temple to the goddess Artemis. And she was a fertility god worshipped with immoral sex. The image of Artemis was thought to have been a meteor which resembled a many-breasted female figure. This meant that there were many cultic prostitutes that were present in the city of Ephesus. It it was a very immoral and multicultural city. Remember, New York City, Las Vegas, and the Vatican combined. And this tremendous temple to Artemis in Ephesus was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the world. Just think of a theme park to an ancient goddess. Ephesus was a stronghold of Satan. Many evil things, both superstitious and satanic, were practiced in Ephesus. Books containing formula for sorcery and other ungodly and forbidden arts were plentiful in the city. Many of the Christians in Ephesus came out of this kind of background. And Paul says... Walk no longer as you did when you were not a believer. Throughout the New Testament, the verb walk is a metaphor for what what right Christian living or conduct is and what it is not. Paul says first, it is futile to think like you did When you were an unbeliever, it's useless. He said that word futile really means purposeless. He says it leads to nothing. You remember those days. Paul says it reflects darkened understanding, a result of having turned their backs on God. Notice what he says. He says he says their hearts were hard, callous. 
And as a result, it, it, it gets worse. They start spiraling down. Their minds, their hearts are hard. Their mind is dark and they're living lives separated from God's holiness. They're living lives of ignorance. This is hard for sophisticated, educated people of Ephesus to accept. So I know it's hard for educated, sophisticated Houstonians to accept. But, 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 but Paul did not condemn, contend that they didn't have knowledge. He contended that the knowledge did them no good in leading them to the lifestyle that pleased God. Without, without such a lifestyle, their minds did not function properly. Their, their hard heart, which yielded a darkened mind, led to a lifestyle of, of an unholy life. Paul says they've given themselves over to sensuality. Now that word given themselves over is a powerful word. Anytime you hear a word in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a loaded word. He says they've given themselves. It's the image of them offering themselves over to that lifestyle. They totally give in. No more, no more resistance, no more fight. They totally fall into culture. And Paul says, walk no longer as you did when you were an unbeliever. They've given themselves over to sensuality, a life without concern for the consequences of their actions. They didn't care. Their desire for sensual pleasure overrode every other concern. It's like an addict. They were, they were addicts. They were addicted to culture. They were addicted to the world. And no matter what they did, their desire was never satisfied. They always wanted more. More money. More attention, more fame, more desire, never satisfied. It was lust. It wasn't love. It was lust that dominated their lives. Paul says, walk no longer, live no longer as you did when you were an unbeliever. We're different we, we have a different walk. We, we have a different lifestyle. We live differently. Live with distinction. I like this. It's over in the Old Testament. Moses says Enoch walked with God. That is, he spent his life in fellowship with God. And, 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 and then, and then uh, uh, Moses adds this little caveat, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch was different from everyone else in Genesis chapter 5 because he walked 
with God. He lived a life distinct from everyone else. But not only Enoch, over in chapter 6, the Bible says Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Notice what the writer says. Moses says, Noah walked with God. He lived a life of distinction. Everyone else, they're living according to the dictates of the culture and the dictates of their desire. And here's here's different Noah. Not weird. Different. (laughs) Different Noah living in a way that's totally distinct. He walked with God. That, is that the story? Is that the tagline? Not, 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 not this, that's the tagline I want for my life. Let me tell you, it, it, it's more than a want. John MacArthur says, instead of the church conforming the world to the principles of Christ, we see the world conforming the church to its principles. We're different. Not weird. Different. And you can live this life right now. This is the life that you have right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the life that's been changed by Christ. That's what he says in verses 20 through 24. He says, fundamentally, Paul says that for the believer, there must be a break with the past. Hear hear this. Jesus isn't merely added to your old life. The old life dies and he becomes our new life. It's a contrast to the former way of life. If you read this passage, you'll see that. You'll notice Paul contrast. He transitioned because of Christ. We can live this righteous life right now. Living a proper Christian life involves two concepts. We must pull off the old life. It's take off. He says in, in, in the version might be before you. He says, maybe he says, rid yourself. And he's literally, it's the image of, of taking off an old coat. An old dirty coat. He says, you pull it off, you take off the old self. And you have to, you, 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 let me tell you something. And you have to do it all the time. You have to constantly take off your old way of thinking and remember that you have a new life in Christ. And the way that I live, the way that I think determines the way that I live. And And the way that I live comes from what I believe. Put off the old self. Get rid of that old life. Get rid of that old thinking. Once you begin following Jesus Christ in discipleship, you are to leave behind. Listen at this. The attitudes. You need an attitude adjustment. The habits, the values and the actions that you had before you were born again. Take it off. 
Paul says, I love this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says in in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours right now at this moment is yours in Christ Jesus. Then he says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated right now at the right hand of God, making intercession for you right now. Then he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is the contrast. We are made new in the attitude of our minds. Watch this. You move in the direction of what you put into your mind and what you allow your mind to dwell on. We are to put, take off the old self. But Paul says, watch this. He says, now, I'm not going to leave you naked. You can put on the new self. I like new clothes. I like clothes. I like shoes. I'm now, I'm now into these uh, ons, and I, I, I've got a couple of pra- pair, and I'm going to get a couple of more. They're the most comfortable tennis shoe I have ever owned in my life. I'm a runner, and, and, and so I love, I used to wear Nike. You know, Nike just do it, and Nike is Nikkei victory, but now I'm on. And I like being on. And I love the way when I slip this shoe on, the way it makes me feel. Listen, that's what it's like when you start following Jesus Christ in discipleship. Paul says you are to put on the new self. That is, we're to begin living the lifestyle that corresponds to who we are now in Christ. Paul is saying, I want you to live practically who you are positionally. Walk no longer as unbelievers. But lastly, he said, you, you, you have this new life. When you got married, you started a new life. When you had children, you started a new life. When you left home for college, you started a new life. You have a new life now as you follow Jesus Christ in discipleship. The believer's new life in Christ involves a change in direction and a change in conduct. This church is church has we're guilty of a malpractice, Bishop Lowenfield. We we teach people history, we teach people doctrine, but we don't teach them well how they ought to conduct themselves when they leave the grounds of the sanctuary. That they are to take off the old self and put on the new self with, with, with new beliefs and new habits and new emotions. Living like the person you have become means incorporating, Paul says, specific actions in your daily life. First, he says, stop lying. Let me me tell you something. Not lying is not the opposite uh, 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 of... Stop lying. 
the opposite of lying is telling the truth. People say, well, I, I don't lie anymore. But do you tell the truth? And do you tell the truth from the right motive? Because you can tell the truth, but with a wrong motive. That's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's breaking down the Ten Commandments. He says, listen, you want to follow the law externally, but I want to know is what's going on deep inside the recesses of your heart. What are the act? You stop lying. You to be taught the truth. You've been taught the truth in verse 21. It means to make truth telling a habit of life. We don't attempt to fool or, or to deceive one another as unbelievers do in our relationship. The, 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 remember, the opposite of lying is not that you stop lying. The opposite is that you tell the truth. Then he says, then he says, let me get to you about your anger. Because sometimes a Christian, we, we, we can get legitimately angry. You know, righteous indignation. Jesus became angry at times. And in those times, we must be extra careful how we act. Why? For anger gives no excuse to sin. Sinning in anger would include such things as when you say something that's rude and unkind or, or you act in a harmful way toward others. When we allow anger to become sin or when we allow ourselves to keep our anger for more than a day, it gives Satan an opportunity to gain control of our attitudes, our actions and our relationships. So get angry. But don't go to bed that way. See, I wish I had time. It's a dangerous thing to do. Paul says, not only do we deal with lying and anger, he says, but stop stealing. Now, stealing is in its most obvious form either by deception or force, taking the possession of someone else. We live in a more sophisticated society. Now you can steal someone's intellectual property. Paul says, now that you have this new life, rather than steal, we go to work. Holy work. We, work allows a person to give something to others. Work allows a person to support financially the, the advancement of the kingdom of God. But we don't judge people who can't work. We don't assume that because a person isn't working, they don't want to work. But if you can go to work, get busy. Then Paul says, I like this. He says what, what, what we would call the Bible's version of, if you can't say anything nice, don't say, don't say anything at all. He says, we ought to speak only words that build up and encourage others. Now, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. 
but this is something I pray for and pray about constantly. May the words of my mouth, Psalm 19, and the musings of my heart meet with your gracious approval. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I didn't mean to say that. I don't even believe that anymore. If you said it, what you meant was, I didn't mean for you to hear what I said. (laughs) We're We're to speak words that build up and encourage. And you know what? This one passage, if it, if it was consistently obeyed, would eliminate most of life's conflicts. And then Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is the only place in Scripture, in verse 30, and he says this right in the the context of what kind of communication believers are to have with each other. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because not only does the devil rejoice when believers fight, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He says, get rid of all of this. And in their place, I want you to put on three virtues. He says, put on kindness. Put on tenderness. And and I love this one. I I, I wrestle with them, this one, and put on forgiveness. I want you, this is what I want you to put on. And 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 I, I want you to I want you to take off. I want you to take off bitterness. I want you to take off rage and anger and harsh words and slander. I want you to take that off. Take off that old coat. Take off, you, you live a new life now. And I, I, I want you to take that off and I want you to put on kindness tenderheartedness and forgiveness. And then he says, and here's the motivation why. Because God acts this way toward us. It changes everything. I I am kind now because I have received and I receive kindness from God. I'm tenderhearted now when I used to be rough and abrasive and impatient and edgy. I'm tenderhearted now because I have experienced that and I experienced that from Jesus Christ in this new life. And then he says, I'm able to forgive now because I keep receiving forgiveness from God. The motivation, the reason why I forgive you is not so I can feel better because that's not what forgiveness is about. I'm doing this for me. No, for a believer, forgiveness is never about you. Forgiveness is for the glory of God. It irritates me when people say, I'm, I'm forgiving you from me. You, that's not believer talk. I'm forgiving you because I'm motivated by the forgiveness that I keep receiving from God through his son, Jesus Christ. Whether you deserve it, whether, whether, whether I think you earn it, that had nothing to do with it. I receive it. I'm motivated because I've received forgiveness. I'm done. But I couldn't help this week. I listened to a lot of preaching, a lot of sermons, a lot of lectures. And, 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 and I thought about this, the motivation for me 
being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. And, 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 and I thought about how is this possible? Paul says, you have this new life. He says, but you have this new life, remember, because of what Jesus Christ has done in your place. And, 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 and Michael Horton really helped me understand it. He says it this way. He says, uh, the finished work of Christ is the, is the breaking open of the pinata. And he said, and the Christian life is lived picking up the candy. That's why I can forgive. That's why I'm tenderhearted. That's why I'm kind. Because my Savior went to the cross for me. My Savior was wounded for me. My Savior wore a crown of thorns for me. And when he died, that wasn't all. He broke open the pinata and he invited someone like me and said, pick up the candy. That's how I live life now. This new life, this life of distinction. Picking up the candy. Lord, it's your spirit. That does the work. It's your spirit. That produces the fruit. It's your spirit. That teaches us. Help us to remember. That old life. That we no longer walk like we did. When we were unbelievers. We don't do marriage the way we did. We don't raise our children the way we did. We don't handle money the way we did. We don't see other people the way we did when we were unbelievers. Help us to remember that we lived a changed life because we have a new mind. And help us to walk in this new life, picking up the candy. We ask it all. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen.